knowing what's missing. Better watch the way you're going. Better go in the right direction. In the moment you're stressing, but you're gonna be counting blessings. And I know that for certain. Keep on working, open curtains. Haters swerving, cause they ain't ready for your final version. Whoa. I'm never gonna give up, give up. Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up. Yeah. Cause this is my road. Let's camera action, I'm ready to go. I'm never gonna give up, give up. Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up. Now you gon' face the dawn you waiting for I said from night to dawn I write my wrongs alone In competition with warnings Ice galore Now I'm running toward it My lights are finished Being a quitter But little You're listening to the Tom Ficklin Show On WNHHLP 103.5 FM Your home for community radio Harry, thank you so much for that introduction It's a pleasure to kind of be with everybody once again And I have the pleasure of sitting here in front of Robert Gibson Mr. GQ himself I always like to kid them. We're neighbors and live here in New Haven and in the, uh, what do we call our area where we live? Beaver Hills, I guess. Beaver Hill. The Beaver, Beaver Hill, but be, behind the Hill House area, Hill House extended area. In fact, we're going to talk, talk about Hill House in a way because Robert has spent how many years at Hill House? 35. 35 years at Hill House. This is when they had a daycare center. So he came in when he was five and then they just stayed and he was such an excellent student. They kind of hired him, but no, he started there in his early twenties after graduation from Trinity College. And uh, spent 35 years at Hill House and uh, li- librarian, history teacher. What else? That was about it. That's, but and that that was enough, right? But I wanted to have him on the show, uh, Robert Gibson, today because, again, as we know, it's uh, some people will say Black History Month. It used to be Black History Week. Some people will say uh, Afrogenesis Month. That some people will say 365, her story and his story month. So, regardless of how you define it, there is this point in time, particularly here in February. Where since night since night in the 1920s, we're going to talk about uh, uh, several people, and Robert's going to give us an intro. Uh, it's it's good to kind of just take a breath, take a deep breath, kind of think about what does it mean to to be on this planet in general, what does it mean to be black on this planet in particular, and what does it mean in terms of what is Black History, what is Negro History, what is Negro History Week, what is a uh, white oppression, what is uh what does it mean to kind of strive and achieve and and uh, find your liberation given the time span that you might be on the planet. So we're going to talk about some individuals that have exercised and manifested that that energy, that liberation, that that passion for for freedom. Uh, names that you will recognize, but hopefully we'll do a deep dive, and we might even say a few things about Shirley Chisholm or Barack Obama or uh, Carter G. Woodson and others that you haven't really heard heard. And if you've heard these things before, it's important because we want to recognize them as well. So, so Robert, who are some of the people we're going to talk about? Try to talk about today. Oh, Frederick Douglass. Du Bois, Ida B. Wells, uh, Constance Baker Motley, mm-hmm. Fannie Lou Hamer, mm-hmm. uh, Malcolm X, mm-hmm. uh, Shirley Chisholm, did I say already? Mm-hmm. Those and are among the group those, on- some that, that'll, that'll, that'll kick us off. Yeah. And again, those are names that you've heard, but we, Robert and I chatted a little bit last week, and just to kind of talk about why these folks are so, so not necessarily symbolic, they're substantive, they may have passed, but they live in our present memories, particularly in terms of how they impact how we how we perceive the world. So, for Black History Month, in terms of thinking future from a future standpoint, we're going to, talk, we're going to reflect on some of these folks, but we're also going to reflect on what our actions and our our consciousness and our awareness might be as we move forward. Uh, we wanted to kind of start off, I think, um, Robert, with Carter Carter G. Woodson, kind of chatting about him for a second. Well, uh, not Woodson, Schomburg. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm oh, yeah, Arturo Schomburg. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. All right, this is a quote from a book that was written in 1925 that is considered the Bible of the Harlem Renaissance. Mm. And the book was called The New Negro, 
And it was a collection of essays, poems, drama, art. Uh, most of us are quite familiar with that time period in the 1920s called the Harlem Renaissance or the New Negro Movement. Mm. And history was very much a part of that. And reclaiming and recapturing the history of black people was very important during that time mm. period. And here is what Arthur Schomburg or Arturo, Arturo yes. Alfonso Schomburg said. He was a Puerto Rican-born black man who was a historian, a bibliophile, a collector of books and documents and artifacts to document the black experience. And uh, he spent his entire uh, early life collecting these kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And later they became, they were purchased by the New York City Public Library and became what we know today as the uh, Schomburg Center Indeed. in Harlem. All right, here's what he said. In what year again? 1925. 1925. The American Negro must remake his past in order, to remake, in order to make his future. Though it is orthodox to think of America as the one country where it is unnecessary to have a past, what is a luxury for the nation as a whole becomes a prime social necessity for the Negro, for him, a group tradition must supp supply compensation for persecution and pride the social damage of slavery, that the present history must restore what slavery took away. Mm. For it is the social damage of slavery that the present generations must repair and offset. So among the rising democratic millions, we find the Negro thinking more collectively, more retrospectively than the rest, and apt out of the very pressure of the present to become the most enthusiastic antiquarian of them all. Indeed. Amen. Amen. And the Schomburg people should certainly visit the, the Schomburg in Harlem. Uh, we were talking about the, the his, his word choices and just, you know, the, the compensation fact. We hear a lot about reparations, but read re re that phrase about compensation that he mentions there. For him, the group tradition must supply compensation for persecution. Indeed. And just, pride of yeah. race, the antidote for prejudice. History must restore what slavery took away. And so whether we can do that in 2018, I mean, this is 2018. This was written in the 1920s. And still, we're still grappling perhaps more than ever with, with, that, with that particular issue, separate and apart, apart from what's right. going on in, in D.C. In this respect, nothing has changed because there's still a prime necessity to offset what we hear a lot about now in recent times is white supremacy. Mm -hmm. The purpose behind promoting black history was to offset, mm -hmm. to counter, to fight against, to combat the ravages of white supremacy. Indeed. When you had a people that were told you're nothing, you're nobody, you never will be. You're just a slave. You have no intellectual capacity. You have absolutely no history out of Africa. Nothing good came because all of the traditions and all of the, the progress of humanity came out of Europe. Those things were instilled in our society mm. and instilled in the minds and hearts of black people growing up, enslaved through Jim Crow and history of the race and the culture was important to try to counteract all mm. of that poison that had been instilled mm. in people's minds. Mm. And I love that phrase when you mentioned, he mentioned the, the antidote because we, we know about viruses and, and cancer and, and, 
and things being kind of embedded and, uh, and, and masticizing. So if it was taking place then, and you know, you fast forward to how many years it was since the 1920s to now. Because there needs to be an antidote to feelings of racial inferiority. Mm-hmm. If you have people that are black that are ashamed of being black, ashamed of their heritage because they don't really know their heritage, you need an antidote for that. Mm-hmm. And and I like the medical and, and and what does that antidote antidote mean? I mean, people are talking about we're going to have to freelance a little bit, but the popularity of the of the of the, the upcoming Black Panther film, and you can see that the people gravitating to that because of the symbolism, because of the the, the archetype, because of the storyline, because of the self esteem that it brings. You know, when I started teaching uh, at Hill House, because I graduated from Hill House as well, uh, I had objectives and goals to mm. provide for students the best of academic excellence so, so that they could succeed beyond high school. And so I came in with high values and mm-hmm. high principles. And uh, there was one case where a student said something to me that I will never forget mm. that kind of is exemplary of what I'm talking about here, mm-hmm. where I, I wanted kids to work, do their homework, study, read, write well. And a student, a black student said to me one time, what do you think we are, white boys? Mm. Mm. And that kind of mentality is what Schomburg and others were trying to address mm-hmm. because black history is not simply an academic subject. Mm-hmm. It is also something that is necessary to build self-esteem, yes. to build pride so that young black people can know that they can excel and see role models from the past mm-hmm. to acknowledge the fact that here were black men and women who through great trials and tribulations were able to work hard, get an education, and excel in their chosen fields. Mm, mm, mm. For th- again, you're listening to the Tom Ficklin Show, and Robert Gibson is here. He's, he's uh, dropping some knowledge, as the young people would say on us, and that, that's great. That's, that's, that's tremendous. Thank you for coming, man. This is, this is, this, this is exciting. I've never heard you be so, so vitriolic. <laughs> uh, well, before we move, who was the next person we might move to? But I guess I want to stay on Schomburg for a second. But the next person is who? Okay, the next person... Well, well, before we go to that, but just let people know who we're going to go to next. Carter G. Woodson. So we're going to go to Carter G. Woodson in a second. But the Schomburg, um, go to their website. Uh, most Almost all of their things are live streamed, their programs. There's a gentleman tonight, literally, well, tomorrow in New York called, uh, his name is um, uh, Jeffrey Stewart, professor out on the West Coast. Jeffrey had got his PhD here from Yale. But his book on, on Elaine Locke, Jeffrey is, is kind of, uh, he's, he's done this, this book on Elaine Locke, who again, through the Harlem Renaissance, and it's considered to be the definitive work of Elaine Locke. And it's a gentleman, A-L-I-N-E, Locke, L-O-C-K-E. So, uh, but the Schomburg, that, check them out. Almost all their presentations are live streamed. And if you can't get down there physically, don't, don't let that be an impediment. Um, let's go to the next person. All right, Carter G. Woodson, most of us that are familiar with anything about black history know his name because he is considered the father of Negro history. Mm-hmm. And the reason why he's given that title is because uh, at a time in the early 20th century when there was no serious consideration among the academic world of black history, he was a man that saw it as an important aspect of America's past that needed to be unveiled. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Rip it Uh, off, rip it off. He felt that everybody needed to know about the contributions of black people and that everybody needed to know, black and white, that black people did more than just pick cotton mm-hmm. and work on the plantations that they were men and women of high intellect, high skills. They were orators. They were inventors, artists, you name it. 
And so Carter G. Woodson, who was a black man that was mm-hmm. born in 1875, grew up in poverty, but had a hunger for education, mm-hmm. uh, went to college, went on to get a PhD from Harvard. He mm-hmm. was the second African-American man to get a PhD from Harvard. Mm-hmm. Du Bois was the first. Mm-hmm. And he devoted his life and career to the promotion of black history. Mm. He founded an organization called the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History in 1915. It still exists. And he uh, started various publications, Negro History Bulletin, Journal of Negro History. Um, He wrote many, many books on black history and African history, especially drawing on the African roots of Mm. African-American history. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course... We would not be here today if it was not for Carter G. Woodson because he was the founder of what was then styled Negro History Week. And whether you call us Negro or African or Black or uh, Mestizo or Creole or or Half-Breed or Mixed, there's something about our our essence that's kind of been been in the history uh, for for ancient years. I mean, we're not going to talk about uh, Africa per se during this show, Robert, but that's one of the reasons you're going to come back about how the the Black History Month, Black History Week, Black History Year, Black... 247365 uh black history is something that's beyond just the the american experience uh but carter he launched when did he start the nigger history week again uh in 1926 in 1926 so again you had carter g woodson you had arturo you had something going on people realizing the oppression that they were undertaking and just that we were talking on the phone about the courage to do this i mean everybody said up until that time well i mean there are others that uh, du Bois and Douglas, whom we're going to talk about, but the courage to kind of start something where you need an audience. I mean, you've been told this is, it isn't relevant, that it's not important, et cetera. And another thing that uh, Woodson did was he started his own publishing company because he knew that a lot of the uh, standard publishing yes. companies w- were not interested in there you go. producing books uh, by and about African-Americans and their history. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. The Associated Publishers was the name of that. See Now, uh, one of the things I'd like to do is uh, kind of shatter a myth Great. or misperception that many people have had because I've often heard people say, why did they give us the shortest month of the year to celebrate <laughs> black history? Well, the fact is nobody gave anybody anything. Mm-hmm. Carter G. Woodson was the founder of, of Negro History Week and he picked the, the month on which fell the birthdays of two outstanding figures in our history, um, Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. Mm. So today is the 12th, so this week would have been the traditional week Mm -hmm. for Negro History Week back in 1926. Douglas's birthday is the 14th, Lincoln's the 12th. And so that was the origin and the purpose behind Mm. it. These two figures who played important roles in African-American history were the focus point for Mm -hmm. the selection of February Mm -hmm. and that week in February uh, and it was a week celebration for many years, and then in 1976, it became a month-long uh, celebration. So that kind of gives us a segue over and, to the two men that indeed, were involved indeed, in uh, indeed, the, indeed. being the focus of the, the celebration and commemoration mm-hmm. of, of uh, Black History Month. Abraham Lincoln, of course, the 16th president, whose birthday is today, known as the Great Emancipator. Uh, for many, it's a, uh, his his legacy is controversial, mm-hmm. but my argument f- for Abraham Lincoln as a hero for a black American history is that even though he may have said certain things that 
represented white supremacist views. Mm -hmm. You have to judge a person not only by some of the things they say, but what they ultimately say toward the end of their life mm -hmm. and at the end of their life. Mm -hmm. And not only judge a person by what they say, by what they do. Mm -hmm. And Abraham Lincoln evolved to the point where he wanted abolition of slavery. He wanted equality of rights for African-Americans, including the right to vote, mm -hmm. citizenship. So Frederick Douglass felt a close alliance to Lincoln. Lincoln did do things that were very productive, not just the Emancipation Proclamation, but also advocacy for the 13th Amendment that made the Emancipation Proclamation a reality. That's right. The proclamation itself was not enforceable unless Union forces had occupied portions of the South. But it was a, a, a tremendous turning point in the Civil War that turned the Civil War not only into a war to save the Union, but a war to abolish slavery as well as save the Union. So there's some people say that, that the Civil War was not about slavery, and you, you have a different view about that. Well, not only do I have a different view, the, the leaders of the Confederacy had that different <laughs> view, that they were fighting for the cause of preservation of slavery and white supremacy. Say it again. Say it again. The Confederates themselves are is documented that you know this latter day uh, revisionist thought about the Civil War being about other things. Uh, look at the record when you, historians have to depend on evidence, mm -hmm. and that's why we that's why uh, um, Schomburg referred to the Negro digging up his past. You mm -hmm. have to dig mm -hmm. for the facts mm -hmm. to gotta document a, what you say. And then when you can back it up, then there's nothing left to say. And so uh, that was very important. And when you mention Lincoln is, and you, th you mentioned controversial, it's really so important to, to kind of, in my mind, to kind of consider people talk about us now going, be, go, undergoing Civil War Part 10 or Civil War Part 20. And really America, we forget, was really a civil war in terms of the, the British and the, and, the, and, the, and the British ancestors here. So in some ways we've always been a civil war. But the fact that books are still written about Lincoln kind of gets to your point of how, how much of an impact he's had on it, the direction, well, of, the direction of America. They started writing books about Lincoln when he was first running for president in 1860, and they've never stopped. <laughs> and and, and, and that's, that's, that's key. And as you mentioned, some people referenced that he at one point was talking about repatriation and sending us back to Africa, and then whether or not the emancipation was a, was a, a war document. But nonetheless, if you watch the evolution uh, of him, it's just, just, so, just so key. And we all I think that's the point, Robert, that I'm trying to kind of convey in this show today, that we can look at the past, but also we all are also undergoing some evolutions ourselves. So whether you're conscious of your evolution or conscious of your growth, but just kind of reflect on what, how you can kind of manifest a new being and, and really a rediscovery of yourself, whether you're black, white, red, green, or yellow. Yeah, when people evolve, you have to judge them by their final evolution. Mm -hmm. And to go back and try to pull up quotes that they made 20, 30, 40 years previously, I think it's problematic mm -hmm. because what someone was 20 years before may not be where they are now. Mm. So that's very crucial. And I, I feel that way when examining the, the, the work of Abraham Lincoln. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, now, there was another person that was more famous than Lincoln in 1860 mm -hmm. that uh, Frederick Douglass knew about. And that was Frederick, I mean, that Abraham Lincoln and, knew about, yes. and that was Frederick, Frederick, Douglass. Frederick Douglass. So his birthday is two days from now, the 14th, 
And this year is the bicentennial of Frederick Douglass's birth. Mm. And so there are celebrations going on locally and nationally That's right. to commemorate the life of Frederick Douglass. That man had a remarkable life who rose up from sl- slavery, mm-hmm. uh, became a... As titled in his autobiography. Well, that's Booker T. Oh, Booker T. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, that rose from slavery, uh, was self-educated, mm. self-made man who became a, an orator, a fighter, not only for abolition of slavery, but also for civil rights. Um, he had a stellar career. He had an international reputation. And, you know, also, he was the most photographed man in the 19th century. Yes, yes. So, so, so say, say that again, because, again, we, again, since I've spent some time with photography. Yeah, I mean, that, he, that, he had that, real that, celebrity that, status. That, that, that always re- intrigued me. But, again, as Robert has just said, he's not kind of blowing smoke. It was the daguerreotypes, the, the, even photography was new, new at that point. But he, but say that again, he was the most. He was the most. There is, I don't know if you've seen the book. But I've, a I've, book I've, I've both of them, yes. A yes, collection yes. of all the known photographs of Frederick Douglass. And they exceed the number for people like Lincoln, Grant, and other prominent uh, politicians of the Civil War era. Indeed, yeah, I just ordered the John Stoffer book from 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 Harvard and the other one. So just say say that point once again because I don't think people understand how for that to happen uh, still gets fascinates me. Obviously, because I'm in, I'm into that particular art form, but the, but for him to be able to manage and to understand the power of image, the power of, of media. I mean, you talk about social media. That was the social media of the day. I uh, guess say say that again. Well, Frederick Douglass was a brilliant man, mm-hmm. and he definitely shatters every racial stereotype that white supremacists would have about black people. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. was a man who was born a slave, grew up in bondage, but yet was skillful enough uh, to learn to read and write and to master his literacy by being a voracious reader. Mm-hmm. Um ran away from slavery, got involved in the abolitionist movement, uh, was a professional orator. Mm. He edited his own newspaper, mm-hmm. uh, was advisor thought. to uh, Abraham Lincoln and several other presidents after him, uh, had uh, served in various capacities in uh, Republican administrations after slavery, after the Civil War, and in the 1870s and 1880s. Um, he was a prominent man prominent. <laughs> he was he had some money and if you ever go to washington dc don't just go to the white house uh-huh. into the capitol but take a side journey to frederick Douglass's house in anacostia dc mm-hmm. he had a mansion home up on a hill mm. about five miles or so outside of uh, uh capitol hill area and it's a monument to the man and his legacy and and when you say that and indeed that the monument to the man and his legacy is just so apropos and in terms of photography, he, he talked about how this new thing, this new big thing, this this uh, this photography, and again, it had a French term even before it became uh, f- photography. Daguerreotype. The, 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 the daguerreotype. That this was the a liberation tool. This was the, the new tool to kind of help us with our self-esteem, right. our, our liberation, our feeling about ourselves. This was a weapon. This was a weapon. And he used it to combat white supremacy. He was a dignified man. He mm-hmm. dressed. He dressed. Yes. In every photograph you see him, he has a shirt and tie and jacket on. He was trying to portray the image of a successful, accomplished, intelligent, articulate black man. And so from the first photographs 
and the 1840s, I believe, mm-hmm. to the last one on his deathbed mm. in 1895, he used the media of photography to project an image to shatter stereotypes. And and and, and he felt so much that for his those of us still in bondage, either mentally or physically, we could use and kind of see and kind of help us to kind of escalate and 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 uh, develop and and improve and just feel better really feel better about ourselves because this, again, the Black History Month, Black History Week, Afri- African Genesis Month, the, the, the issue of self-esteem and likability and, and uh, not feeling bad. I mean, the, just the, the, we hear about today the, the micro and macro, macro and micro aggressions that, that we endure daily, but, but consider back then in 1865, 1870, 1880, what was people had to deal with. He wrote, all, he wrote, wrote three autobiographies uh, starting in 1845 to 1881. Uh, so uh, not only was he using the photographic images uh, to project a positive image of a black man, but he also was using propaganda as an abolitionist and using autobiography as an individual to show the world the abilities of African-American men. Indeed, 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 and the family. Um there's going to be, we'll put on this link, by the way, we'll have the link up in the, the audio file and the, and the Facebook file of the show. Uh, but there's going to be two or three events, even here in New Haven, the uh, Gilder Lehrman Center is going to have a lecture on Frederick Douglass. And there's an event even this Saturday at, uh, at one of the libraries. Uh, but as, as you referenced, nationwide events are going on. Philadelphia has devoted the year to a variety of events. I'll put that link also. So that, that just goes to t- the show and testimony in 2018, why this bicentennial people have realized we don't want to miss this historical moment of celebrating the life and times of Frederick Douglass and our life and times, because there's a direct relationship. And also, I don't know how many of you have seen one of these yet, but he has been honored on the reverse of uh, the new quarters from last year. Mm-hmm. So they have a picture image of Douglass and his house in D.C. Mm-hmm. on the back of uh, the 25-cent coin. Tremendous. You're listening to the Tom Ficklin Show, and Robert Gibson is with us. Uh, the, the title, of, I, I mentioned to Harry Draws, our station manager, that uh, we, would, we, we would talk about Robert Gibson, the educator. But I'm going to say now Robert Gibson, the liberator. That's going to be who we're, we're going put, to put that down there also. Who do we have next? Who, who's up? Well, one of my favorites, and I've studied him for probably 50 years. Mm. And that is W.E.B. Du Bois, mm. uh, William Edward Burkhardt Du Bois, who also celebrates a birthday landmark uh, this year. Mm. He was born 150 years ago on the 23rd of February, 1868, in Great Barrington, Massachusetts. Mm. Uh, William Edward Burkhardt Du Bois uh, grew up in a small New England town. He was not born in slavery. Uh, he was born after emancipation. Uh, in a predominantly white town in Berkshire Hills of Western Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was a brilliant student, and the white community saw that brilliance in him, and they encouraged him, promoted him, supported him financially so that he could go to school. He went to Fisk and then uh, went on to Harvard and ultimately got a Ph.D. in, 19, in 1895. Mm. It's 1895. His PhD thesis was pub- his first book, uh, The Suppression of the African Slave Trade. Mm. Du Bois was not just a black scholar, but he was an activist. He was a uh, civil rights leader who was uh, one of the founders of the 
NAACP, mm-hmm. which also celebrates mm-hmm. its birthday today mm-hmm. because it was mm-hmm. founded 1809 or 1909, 1909 uh-huh. on the date of Lincoln's birthday. Mm-hmm. Uh, <coughs> du Bois was a radical at a time when many of the white and black community uh, looked only to Booker T. Washington as the spokesperson of the black community. Mm-hmm. And Washington, of course, uh, had a more accommodationist uh, um, strategy. Not that he was not, uh, some people want to write him off as an Uncle Tom. Well, that's inaccurate. You've got to do some study mm-hmm. and do some digging up to find out more things about Mr. Booker T. Washington. But at the time, uh, it was Jim Crow era. And mm-hmm. There was lynching and mm-hmm. violence mm-hmm. and uh, uh, discrimination and Blacks state were denied the right to vote. Sure, state-sanctioned murder, federal-sanctioned uh, murder, local-sanctioned murder. So Booker T. Washington, who was born a slave and had a different experience, he was from the South, the boys was from New England. Um, there were experiences that Washington had that the boys did not have that shaped, mm-hmm. you know, each one had different experiences and it shaped their characters. Mm-hmm. Um, there were certain things that, Washington could not have said at the time in Alabama mm-hmm. that Du Bois could freely say in New York mm-hmm. and Massachusetts. And he was in Georgia for a time too. Yes. Uh, in Atlanta. Atlanta. Mm-hmm. He was in Atlanta when they had the race riot there. And uh, he went out and bought a Winchester to uh, d- <laughs> defend his family in case they decided to come to the college grounds mm-hmm. and not make any attacks. But this man is a remarkable person who had a long career of about 70 years yes. in the civil rights struggle, founding the Niagara Movement for uh, civil rights protests for ending Jim Crow and advocating the right to vote for uh, blacks in this country. Uh, that was followed by the NAACP. He was the editor of the, the NAACP's founder and editor mm-hmm, of their mm-hmm. their magazine, The Crisis. The Crisis, yes. And uh, through The Crisis, he was able to influence a whole generation of young people growing up uh, uh, during the World War One, post World War One, World War One eras. And he published a number of books, but probably his most famous book that all of you should read was published in 1903, called "The Souls of Black Folk." Mm, 1903. That is. That is required reading required. for any American, ahead, professor. any American, but especially for African Americans, because it's a testament to what it means to be black in America. In 1903. It's a collection of essays and stories with some poetry. He was a poet. Mm-hmm. And uh, I highly encourage, if you've never read The Souls of Black Folk, go to the library or go to the bookstore and get a copy and read it because it is a powerful book even to this day. Even to this day, and that that's the key. And and you you, you reference when we were talk, re- referencing Abraham Lincoln earlier, the kind of a person's trajectory and an evolutionary arc. And Du Bois also, you know, in his latter years, in terms of communism, and where where did he decide to go to be buried? He he, he left America and went to went well. To, went to Du Bois, as I said, was a radical, and for some. In our community, he was a little too radical. Uh, he wound up leaving the NAACP at one point. He came back uh, a few years later and spent some time, but then left again. Um, because he, going back to when he was saying uh, opposing views, uh, 
Booker T. Washington. He got some flack about that. Um, by the 1940s and 50s, he um, was leaning more toward communist ideas um, and was a victim of the McCarthy era. Indeed. And Indeed. Uh, was really treated shabbily in his old age because mm-hmm. he lived to be 95 mm-hmm. and was active until he was 95. Yes. Um, he was an old man in his 80s and nearly 90, and the federal government was hounding him, harassing him, and then some of the people in the black community had turned their back on him mm-hmm. because he was branded a communist. Mm-hmm. At a time when to be branded a communist would be uh, suicide to your career. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he stood on his principles and uh, believed in not just civil rights, but human rights, and wanted to take it to a universal level. Yes. Uh, going he was one among many who felt that it important to take our fight beyond the streets, beyond the boycotts, beyond the court cases, to an international uh, mm-hmm. tribunal so that uh, the nation might be shamed in its treatment of blacks and other minorities and do the right thing. Um, by, uh, let's see, what year was it? Around 1961, he left the United States. Mm-hmm. He did join the Communist Party. And he went to uh, live in Ghana. And one of the things he wanted to do and work Indeed, on this the key, was yes. the, uh, an Encyclopedia Africana. Yes, Encyclopedia Africana. And we're talking about, and we all, all have heard of the Encyclopedia Britannica, mm-hmm. which was the encyclopedia of Western civilization and white supremacy. Mm-hmm. And what he wanted to do was create a black counterpart to that mm. to... Um, yeah, an antidote once again. Yes, an yeah. antidote mm-hmm. to set the record straight. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he, in his in his 90s, was working on a massive enterprise to get scholars from Africa, America, the Caribbean, mm-hmm. to produce an Encyclopedia Africana yes. to document the work done by African people from antiquity mm-hmm, to mm-hmm, modern times mm-hmm. and, and, and again listen to the tom ficklin show and robert gibson is with us robert just thank you for that for just showing that about those, those parallels in the arc and kind of the aspirations and dreams that all of us have this show is about not, not necessarily dream making or nostalgia but it's also about what are your dreams as you listen what do you want to do what kind of impact do you want to have what are you what what work what newspaper are you working on what, what paper do you have to hand into your teacher this afternoon what what uh uh, next, next, what is your next career goal? So dream making and just facilitating that and, and, for, and also facilitating and get, providing some sort of inspiration to all of us to kind of to move, move forward, to, to be forward, to, to, to be the dream, to live the dream and also to wake up. And I want to set something straight too. Uh, you know, some people r- refer to celebration of black history during this month as racist mm-hmm. and the, the goal behind Carter G. Woodson mm. and those that followed after him is not uh, to promote racial superiority. The goal is, it's not racist. Its goal is to combat racism, mm. 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 To, to fight against racism, mm-hmm. and to make racism, Du Bois wrote an essay called On Being Crazy. Mm. Mm. Racism is crazy. Mm. And so to show how crazy racism is, the purpose behind one of the purposes behind black history is to show that black people are people like everybody mm-hmm, else in mm-hmm, this world mm-hmm. and that we have the same ability. That's right. Intellectually, socially, you name it equal. It was not anything about promoting superiority. You know, people get t- 
get it twisted about the uh, Black Lives Matter movement. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Nobody's saying that black lives are more important than other lives, but we're saying that black lives are more victimized than certain other groups mm. and that the struggle is to get e- equal treatment, mm-hmm. equal opportunity, equal justice before the law. Indeed. That's what it's always been about. Indeed. Not Indeed. about trying to make black people superior and say that, because there are some people that go to an extreme and want mm-hmm. to do such things, mm-hmm. and I don't subscribe to that kind of philosophy. Mm-hmm. It's not about black supremacy, because if white supremacy is wrong, what can make black supremacy right? Mm, 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 mm. Uh, again, you listen to the Tom Ficklin show. Uh, after uh, Du Bois, who do we have next? Who's up next? These, these are some heavy hitters, and again, really appreciate everyone tuning in and listening. I will just conclude by saying the boys okay. went to Ghana, okay. did some work, but the work was not completed, did mm-hmm. not materialize. Although Henry Louis Gates did publish a, a one volume a book about 10 years or so that was like a mm-hmm. beginning uh, yes. attempt at a encyclopedia Africana. But his vision in that massive work has not been accomplished as of today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Our next person is... We've been talking about men, uh, yeah, and it's ladies, important so. that uh, the ladies we, a we uh, acknowledge the fact that there are women involved in the movement as well. I mean, we all know about people like Harriet Tubman and Sojourner Truth and so many other women that were involved in the f- struggle for equality, along with the men like Frederick Douglass and Du Bois and, and others. And uh, one person who was a contemporary of both Frederick Douglass and Du Bois and Booker T. Washington was a black woman by the name of Ida B. Wells mm. Barnett. Mm. Mm. Ida, Ida B. B. Wells, Wells Barnett. was born in Mississippi, 1862. So she was born a slave, although she was a child. And of course, she worked through impoverished conditions to uh, attain an education. And uh, she was a civil rights activist. Uh, you know, another thing I want to point out mm-hmm. is that a lot mm-hmm. of people. Th- kind of want to start the civil rights movement in the 1950s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, civil rights movement is not a movement of the 50s and 60s. Mm. The civil rights movement goes back to the time right after the Civil War. And we could really take it back before that yeah, yeah, because sure. they, free black people were fighting for equality in the late uh, 18th century. Sure, and David, David Walker's appeal is also... So could, it's could, not mm-hmm. um, a modern day movement a modern era movement starting with people like um, martin luther king frederick Douglass was a civil rights leader mm-hmm. ida b wells was a civil rights leader so it's something that is a continuous struggle mm-hmm. 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 the abolitionist movement was a part of the civil rights struggle yes so it's not something that's only 50 years yes in the making you know in the past but it's something that goes back Sure, Phyllis, Phyllis, Wheat, Phyllis Wheatley was part of the, part of the civil yeah. rights. Mm-hmm. Ida B. Wells is primarily known as an anti-lynching crusader. A lot of young people don't know too much about lynching because they don't really teach too much about it in uh, our history. I don't think there's a textbook in American history that has a chapter on lynching or even much more than a paragraph on mm-hmm. lynching. But lynching was uh, illegal uh, extra legal 
means used by white supremacists to keep black people in control. Mm. It was a control mechanism. It was institutionalized racism and um, sadism. Well, and, and and talk about the sadism in terms of the popularity of the postcards. People would no, come. It would be a, it was horrible. A, a major event. It would be publicized. Would be advertised. It was a, a Super Bowl of us being lynched. People would come to see us uh, being a. Uh, People uh, think mm -hmm. of lynching as just hanging on a tree, but uh, lynching was an illegal ex execution. Whether you were shot, hanged, uh, whether you were, and there were people that in this country that were burned at the stake, mm -hmm. burned, mm -hmm. burned mm -hmm. at the stake. Mm -hmm. In the 20th century. Mm. So uh, it was a horrendous thing. And for decades, nothing was done about it. And pictures were sold. And, and there's people, a, there's a photographed, whole mm -hmm. people photographed mass murders of, there were mobs mm -hmm. of people that would murder black men, women, and children. They'd take their pictures while doing it. And sell them as postcards mm -hmm. without fear of reprisal, without fear of going to jail. That's right. And it was a horrendous time. And lynching, of course, went on primarily. I mean, we documented lynchings from the 1890s and 1880s and 90s going up to the 1950s. Mm -hmm. Emmett Till was a lynch victim. Mm -hmm. So lynching took many different forms. But yes. It was not just done against men. And even though the uh, usual crime, quote, that was attributed to executing or lynching a black person, a black man, was rape. Mm -hmm. So it was a mechanism of control, especially after the Civil War and the rise of the Klan and the rise of segregation and the rise of Jim Crow. Lynching was practiced and the United States government never passed an anti-lynching bill, even though there were fights to get it done. So this woman stood up often as a lone voice against the lynching uh, crime in this country. She took it international. Mm. She went like Frederick Douglass did and like Du Bois did, tried to get other countries involved, mm. make it international to expose the light on what was going on in the United States. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Here's a nation, the United States, going around the world fighting to make the world safe for democracy, and black people in Mississippi couldn't even be safe in their home. Yes. So it was very bold on her part to do it, because not only was she black, but she was a woman, and as a woman, she faced a double barrel mm. of racism and sexism mm -hmm. from not only white men, but also from some black men. That's right. But this woman was a journalist, a writer, uh, a speaker, and she had a newspaper uh, called the, look at my notes here, uh, her paper was called Appley Free Speech. Free Speech. And I was told by one of a teacher years ago that she got up on a lectern to speak one time, and she said that she was the editor of the Free, uh, free Speech, and she put a pistol on the, on the counter and said, this is what makes it free. Mm, 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 mm. The ballot or the bullet. Uh, again, listen to the Tom Ficklin show. We're kind of winding up. But for Ida, it's really I want you to kind of uh, throw in, and she's one of my, 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 my guiding lights. What's the connection between Ida B. Wells and uh, Rosa Parks? Well, um, in 1884, Ida B. Wells um, uh, 
uh, brought a lawsuit against a uh, railroad company for uh, discrimination in seating. Mm. Uh, so she was a victim of the Jim Crow mm. seating laws, mm -hmm. and she went to court. And in the first round of her court case, she won. Mm. But then I guess there was an appeal, yes. and so she, she lost that particular battle. But she had the courage to do it. Indeed. that's Because yes. that was a dangerous time to do that. Yes. And even publishing her paper and exposing all these lynchings and things, she was the victim of harassment, uh, threats on her life. They burned her newspaper press down. That's right. She had to leave town. She led a boycott or helped lead a boycott uh, before buses mm -hmm, in mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. I believe Memphis, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Told the black people, don't ride the buses. And if they don't treat you right, just move out of the town. Mm. And some, there were like 2,000 black people that moved out from uh, Memphis because there had been a, a lynching, I think, of mm -hmm. three men. Mm -hmm. Thousands of blacks moved out. Thousands of blacks uh, boycotted the, uh, the local trains. And the company almost went bankrupt. We're we're winding down, uh, Robert, and that's again. You, you, that's why I mentioned before we came on air that you go, that you're going to come back because Black History Month is and Black and African African Genesis Month is uh, an African Genesis existence is, is is ongoing. So that's why you're going to come back because there are a few people we didn't we're not going to get a chance to get to. I want to give you the the last word, and just as you talked talked about Lincoln and Du Bois and uh, and Ida B. Wells uh, and Douglas, just for people to see that we had these these giants. But we all can be giants. So as you, as, you, as you hear this show, as you go through your daily life, don't think that you have to create a newspaper or, or submit a lawsuit or win a lawsuit or, or march. But there's something that you can do, in, 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 not necessarily in, in memory or, or homage to them, but really in memory and homage to yourself and to your family and to the future generations, the unborn generations. But I want to give you the last word, though. Well, uh, Washington, Booker T. Washington, in his uh, famous speech, used the phrase, cast down your bucket where you are. And one of the things I've been advocating is for uh, black families to cast down their bucket in their own family mm. homes. Mm -hmm. There's black history all around you. Mm. Uh, parents, grandparents, great grandparents, people that came up from the South, people that served in the World War II, um, people had experiences in the civil rights movement. All that is history. Mm -hmm. And we need to reclaim that past and dig it up and not let it pass away. Mm -hmm. And we have to encourage our young people to spend less time on their iPads and less time watching TV and sit down and talk with grandma and mm. grandpa and mm. great grandparents and all that uncles and aunts and get to learn about yes. average people. Yes. Because black history is not just about the, the great leaders that we all hear about. They would never would have gotten where they, they would never have achieved what they did achieve without the base mm. in the community that helped to keep them mm -hmm. propped up. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so, one of the things that's very important is that the great heroes and heroines of black history serve as role models to young black people today. And we need to look at them, examine them, read the, their life stories and understand in doing so that what those people did that our young people, the present generation can do now. Mm, mm, and that there's mm. no need for any shame or embarrassment or any kind of ideas of inferiority. We are equal. Mm -hmm. We are just as good as mm. anybody else. And mm. we have made tremendous contributions to this country. This country would never be where it is today without the contributions of African-American people from the very beginning of their presence in the East shores. Indeed. In 1619. Indeed. The blood, the blood, sweat, and the tears. Thank you so much, Robert, for being here. And again, we're going to listen to the Tom Ficklin show. And again, Thank you, you, you uh, talk to you guys next Monday. 
uh, Robert, thank you. You're going to come back and we're going to talk about some of the other people because they are still in the news and, and there'll be some new people in the news also that we're going we're, we're to bring up. Thanks again. This is Tom Fuglin's show. Harry, for all of your help and uh, talk to you soon. Watch the way you going, better go in the right direction. In the moment you stressing, but you gon' be counting blessings. And I know that for certain, keep on working, open curtains. Haters swerving, cause they ain't ready for your final version. I'm never gon' give up, give up. Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up, yeah. Cause this is my road. Let's camera action, I'm ready to go. I'm never gonna give up, give up. Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up, yeah. Yeah, this is my road. Let's camera action, I'm ready to go. Way too long, we faced them storms. Now you gon' face the dawn you waited for. I said from night to dawn, I write my wrongs alone. And competition with warnings, ice galore. Now I'm running toward the